Welcome to the Picture Book Look podcast. I'm Kim Chafee. And I'm Kirstie Call. Together, we'll share some of our favorite picture books and chat with their creators to explore the journey from story idea to bookshelf. We'd love you to join us as we take a picture book look. Hey, Kim. Hey, Kirstie. I am super excited to dive into our story today. I totally agree. It's an ocean of a story. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) The Ocean Calls by Tina Cho and illustrated by Jess X. Snow is the beautiful intergenerational story about Diane and her grandmother, who is a henyo diver. Tina's lyrical text takes us on a journey where Diane faces her fears of the ocean and learns how capable she really is. I always love a good intergenerational story. And this one is particularly beautiful as the grandmother shows her love for Diane by teaching her how to dive. Also, I just can't resist a story with a song in it. I know. You love them so much. It's great. (laughs) We're excited to talk with Tina and her editor, Joanna Cardenas, as they give us a look into the creative process for The Ocean Calls. Let's get started. Okay, Tina. What was your inspiration for this book? I saw a tweet on Twitter about the Hanyo, and so I looked them up and discovered that they are elderly women in South Korea who die without any breathing apparatus and sell their catch for their career. And this is a tradition they've been doing for hundreds of years. So I was very intrigued, especially because it was in South Korea where I was living at the time. And I was also fascinated by these elderly women. You know, here I was in my 40s and I don't do all of, all of that. <laughs> it is fascinating what these women yeah. do. And like you said, with no breathing apparatus. It's so impressive. It's so impressive <laughs> and so interesting. And I love that this story started with a tweet. I loved Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Joanna, what was it about this story that made you want to acquire it? So many reasons. I felt that it was a Kokila book immediately. And a Kokila book is one that has layers. And this one is so layered and as deliciously satisfying as any layered desserts that might float your boat. On the surface, you know, it's the story about a granddaughter and her grandmother, and it's about the love and trust between them. And, you know, it's also a story about choosing courage over fear, which I feel is an evergreen topic. It's something that is really important to talk about in early childhood, but you know what? All through adulthood, I feel like we can all use reminders to choose courage over fear, And that's what's happening on the surface. And then underneath those layers, as I read it more than once on submission, you know, there's a lot to say about placing yourself in space and time. And I thought that that was really beautiful. It's also a tribute to the power of women's bodies. And like, I'm all about that. I (laughs) really want more representation that speaks to that. And something that I think that is really unique about this book and that I really appreciate that Tina was putting out there into the world or wanted to put out there into the world is that, you know, this is sort of a narrative about athleticism and physical strength that actually includes the elderly. And that's also something that is not part of the visual representation, at least in 
the Western market that we publish into. And so that felt really important to us to be able to contribute to that kind of storytelling, particularly in our market. And, you know, this is just such a lovely story about community, about coming together, about caring for one another. It's about the relationship with other people and it's about the relationship you have with the natural world and how you can protect it and preserve it for generations. And I think that's also something that, especially in this moment, feels just really important to share with young readers. So important and perfect for right now. Absolutely. How do you go and find an illustrator for such a story? Can you give us a look into that process? Yeah. I mean, it's a different process for each book. And sometimes it happens right away. Sometimes we have someone in mind right away and that person is available because it's a matter of both, you know, having the vision and also the timing of this kind of thing. I think that this one took a little bit longer just because like we needed someone who was going to be able to capture the vibrance of underwater life, the vibrance of the island, and someone who in our heads from very early on, we had this idea that it would need to be someone who has like quite a cinematic scope to their work, like a movie. And this was truly a collaboration with our art director at Coquila, Jasmine Ribeiro, and the illustrator who we ultimately ended up choosing, Jess X. Snow. And so Jess was an absolute dream to work with and totally captured the spirit of this text in such a beautiful, vibrant way. And they're a muralist, a poet, and a filmmaker. So they kind of already had that cinematic scope that I was talking about that they would be able to bring to this project. And as a muralist, just like a really strong sense of color palette and how you could use color palette to tell a story as well. And so Jess took really great care in their research, did a lot of digging up a photo reference. And some of that photo reference actually came from Tina and the trips that she took to the island. So we had a lot of like firsthand reference material to work with. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was it, it was a all hands on deck kind yes. of um, project. We all pitched in and, you know, it was really important to just to, to get the spatial geography, the accuracy of the spatial geography of the island, and also even the smallest details of like what kind of marine life actually exists in these waters and, and making sure that every detail like that was accurate. And, you know, I think both Tina and Jess were really committed to honoring and respecting the lives of these women because they actually exist. Though this might be a fictional narrative, you know, it's based in reality and there are lots of consequences and it's a great responsibility and honor to be able to tell this story. So I feel like, you know, it was a great collaboration. Jess brought a lot to the project and even Tina was really involved in the visual aspect of the story too. Well, the illustrations are stunning. They're They're just so beautiful Mm -hmm. and they do pair so well with your lyrical text. So Tina, can you give us a look into the writing process of this story? It took me a while to come to the story that is now The Ocean Calls because I first wrote it as a nonfiction article story for Highlights. <laughs> and they loved wow. the subject, but they wanted more sensory details and quotes. But I couldn't give that to them at the time. So I tried it as a fiction story and I wanted to show a grandmother teaching her granddaughter the tradition. And I have three critique groups. So I send it to 
all of them, but still it was kind of missing something. So as writers, you know, we need to go to the site in order to experience it ourselves. So I asked my husband how far it was and how much it would cost. And it turns out that it's just like a 40 minute flight from the Seoul area and $50, 60 oh, wow. So we took our family there for spring break and I dragged them to every beach where we could find Hanyo and my husband asked the locals where they were and I got to talk to them and stuff. Then I was able to come home and add all those sensory details. Like I was able to hear the whistle and smell the seaweed and all the seafood and, and stuff and revise the story. And then Joanne and I went back and forth on just little edits on the story. And then we did a lot of editing on the back matter. You did such a wonderful job mm-hmm. with those sensory details. Can you, Joanna, give us a look into the editing process for the story? Yeah. So I feel like, as Tina mentioned, structurally, not much changed in the story itself. The beats were there. And that's what really drew me to the story because it felt in really good shape. And there were a lot of great sensory details that pull you in and give you a a strong sense of place. So for me, when I acquired it, the plot felt really solid. The writing was lovely and lyrical. I think we worked on, you know, clarity of existing ideas, but everything was already there. This wasn't the type of project that required an overhaul necessarily during the editing process. I think we just went back and forth to talk about alternative ways of organizing the back matter so that we could create kind of a loose arc for the back matter itself and make it sort of flow a little bit better. And we talked about starting each section with a quote from one of the Henyo that sort of demonstrated and linked some of the information that Tina wanted to convey to that quote. We thought that that would be a compelling way to sort of start and delve into some of the more expository information. We also talked quite a bit about how we could use this space in the back matter to sort of talk about the things that are left out of the Henyo narrative when it ends up making it to Western audiences. And some of those things that we talked about were making it clear that this is backbreaking labor. Like this is a hard work for as effortless as it looks on, you know, captured video and in articles that profile the Henyo. You know, it's important to also make it clear that this is really hard work that they do day in and day out. They start their day this way, and then they go and do more work out in, you know, farming, selling their catch. And it's a really long day for these women. The back matter was so well done. I felt like I learned so much from it. That's really great to hear. And that's the whole point of back matter, right, is to be a starting point for further (laughs) research, for further breeding. I think that our goal there was to make it, you know, feel interesting, substantive. It was engaging, which is so important for kids' books. <laughs> exactly. So we have one more question for both of you. Let's start with you, Joanna. When someone reads this book, what do you hope they feel or learn? I hope that they feel so many emotions because that's what good literature does. It makes you feel and it makes you you know, connected to other humans. And I think that that's really important. I always hope that readers get what they need at that particular time, whatever that may be. And that's sort of out of our controls once we, you know, release a book out into the world. So if they absorb all of the layers that I talked about earlier, great. If they walk away with some other piece of inspiration, that's really lovely too. And the goal. And I do hope that this book 
does inspire readers to engage with their elders. There's so much that our elders can teach us and you know, they have so many stories to tell and we are the lucky benefactors of That's that. So true. Absolutely. Tina, same question mm-hmm. for you. When someone reads The Ocean Calls, what do you hope they feel or learn? I want a child to be able to spend time with their grandparent and learn traditions from them and vice versa, that the grandparent would want to share those traditions with their grandchildren. If a child doesn't have a grandparent, just spending time with elderly people, listening to them and hearing their experiences. But also for 2020, we've been at home a long time. So in this book, Diane dives deeply and learns new things. So I think we, during the pandemic, can dive deeply into new things and, and learn a lot. A big thank you to Tina and Joanna for joining us today and giving us a look into the creative process for The Ocean Calls. Check out the show notes to learn more about Tina and her other fabulous books. And remember, if you have a picture book you love and you think we might love it too, send us an email at picturebooklook2 at gmail.com. That's picturebooklook and the number two at gmail.com. Happy looking!